Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Winning's hard, really, really hard. Welcome back to another edition of the Winning is Hard podcast. Cameron Parker, West Scott Everts here for you. A late edition this week coming at you Friday afternoon ahead of the Oklahoma State game. But we wanted to make sure we got it out for y'all coming off a, a tough loss to Oklahoma. But I think, West Scott, there's one thing that we can take as a positive is that Xavier Worthy and B. John Robinson might leave the 40 acres as two of the best athletes, two of the best players in UT history. Is that overreaction? Am I, am I crazy, or what do you think? No, no doubt about that. I mean, certainly Casey Thompson deserves uh, a lot of credit right now, potentially uh, the best quarterback in the Big 12, certainly leads the conference in quarterback rating uh, by a fair amount. But, you know, I sort of tested this out on Twitter the other day after I was thinking about it. Um, let me just bounce this off of you. I believe that Xavier Worthy has the potential to be the best quarterback in Texas history. After his performance against Oklahoma, I'm trying to pull up the Texas football uh, wide receiver numbers. But, I mean, as a true freshman, what he did against Oklahoma, I mean, I don't think you're wrong. And it's funny because after the TCU game, we were thinking about talking about Bijan Robinson being not only the best running back in the country, but being the best running back in, in Texas history up there with Earl Campbell and, and Ricky Williams. And Xavier Worthy doesn't have two Heisman winners in, in front of him, but I don't think you're crazy. I, I, I agree with what you're thinking too. All right, so so let's kind of like break this down. Uh, nine catches for 261 yards, two touchdowns for Xavier Worthy last week. He's a guy with proven track speed uh, in the 10 threes. Um, he's a guy, just incredible get off from the line of scrimmage, uh, can can really beat guys there. He's a guy who's set up to succeed by having Steve Sarkeesian as his head coach. Uh, football intelligence, hard work, contact courage uh, that Sark has, has talked about. He's remarkably difficult to bring down uh, for a guy who's 6'1 and about 160 pounds um, and, and really just has some you know, other dynamic ability um, in the open field. And and so, you know, the way that I look at this, like, let me first say, um, you know, for anyone who might not remember uh, my, my first handle when I started writing at at BON and and even on Twitter was ghost of big Roy, because I was a huge Roy Williams fan. And so, you know, this comparison to Roy Williams is a difficult one to make, but one that, you know, I don't really take lightly. And so, you know, Roy Williams, like, Pretty clearly, in my opinion, the best wide receiver in Texas history. Big, physical, extremely fast. 
explosive. Um, and then, you know, after that, getting into guys, Jordan Chipley, Quan Cosby. Quan Cosby, a little bit older when he got to Texas, played some minor league baseball, uh, just incredible hands, good short area quickness. Jordan Chipley as well wasn't quite as fast, um, you know, when he actually got on the field at Texas as he was when he played at Burnett in high school before the injuries that set him back. Um, so that's the competition. I I feel pretty comfortable saying that that I think Worthy definitely has the ability to be better than than Quan Cosby and Jordan Shipley. And then it's just a question of, you know, how do you compare someone who's 6'1", 160 to 6'3", 220 with, you know, what, 10, 10, 400 meter speed, like pretty close top speed to, to Worthy, I believe, in, in Roy Williams. Um, and then, you know, ran in the low four fives at the NFL Combine. What's crazy to me is that Worthy is already 77th on Texas receiving yards at 531. He's a true freshman. He's played five games, five games. Uh, names he's ahead of on the Texas history. Dan Buckner, Keontae Ingram, Ja'Cory Warwick, Cade Brewer already, even though Brewer's played how many years at Texas? Ten. Fozzie, uh, Lorenzo Joe. So um, actually kind of jarring to see that a thousand yards in your entire Texas career in your top 35. Wow. But back to what you were saying, it's a type of mold. He doesn't, his, his, his frame doesn't relate to the guys you mentioned before, but I think his ceiling is just as high as the, the receivers that were aforementioned that if you agree with that. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's a lot of, you know, what this is about. I mean, He's already arguably the best receiver in the Big 12 right now. Uh, he's right up there with uh, Eric Ezukama, you know, Texas Tech in terms of uh, receptions and receiving yards. He got off to a little bit of a slow start, three receptions in the first two games, only one catch about TCU. And yet, when he does get the football, there's no question just about his, his explosiveness, incredible playmaking ability. You know, he's a guy that that Sargent's clearly working to get involved in the offense in multiple ways, including, you know, key contributions, like uh, some of the things that were missing in the second half of the Oklahoma game, like uh, using him in in the fly sweep game, just to be able to get him on the perimeter with his speed. And so I I think maybe part of what, you know, I'm reacting to a little bit is just Texas has had this incredible run of, of, a lot of like fast talented guys at wide receiver who just haven't worked out, you know, haven't been worked in the offense the right way. I mean, I, I remember watching the high school film on Deshaun Hales and being really high on him. You know, DJ Monroe, an incredibly explosive athlete, Dajay Johnson, um, maybe the guy who's the closest to um, Deshaun, uh, to Xavier Worthy, I'm sorry, is in recent Texas history, you know, Marquise Goodwin. But Marquise Goodwin was still, you know, much a much smaller player, and I'm not sure that he had quite that same, you know, kind of remarkable ability to break tackles that we're seeing from Xavier Worthy. And you know, his favorite NFL player, you know, the guy that he grew up watching in California, uh, Deshaun Jackson, um, certainly a guy who's had a, a long and incredible NFL career, uh, but is also, you know, a little bit smaller than Worthy. And so, you know, I think that's a fair comparison, and I think kind of seeing. You know, worthy this last weekend, you know, part of what is bringing this up as well. Uh, thinking about, you know, how long Deshaun Jackson has played in the NFL and the fact that, 
you know, Xavier Worthy is a guy who looks like he's on track to also have, you know, a really long NFL career if he can keep on developing, you know, and stay healthy the way that Deshaun Jackson largely has. The first play of the Texas OU game, that little bubble screen to Worthy, his stiff arm on Jaden Daniels should come with a NSFW warning before you watch that highlight. I mean, that was he one broke, of several. One of several in that game yeah. by Texas players. He broke, I think, two tackles on that play with that stiff arm, and that just shows his ability. I I love Marcus Goodwin, but I don't think Goodwin has the strength to be able to to do that. And that's just a little glimpse of what we're going to see from Worthy. And now with Whittington injured. Defense, I'm, I'm guessing defenses will try and key in a little bit more on Worthy. So I'm interested to see how Sark will adjust to that and if he's going to try and find ways to get Worthy the ball in, in different situations. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure that Worthy is really ready to be the same type of third down receiver that Jordan Whittington was. And that's a big concern for Texas. Um, I'm not really sure where they're going to find that. Um, it may be, you know, Kate Brewer or Jared uh, Wiley getting more involved. Um, you know, maybe it's Marcus Washington if he can be a big physical guy in the way that he's been physical in the blocking game. You know, being able to win in man-to-man coverage, you know, on, on slants, you know, potentially, you know, on third down is the way that he can contribute. Um, you know, certainly some, some big questions for Sark there. But, you know, the bottom line is that if you can score 75-yard touchdowns, on a bubble screen on first down, then, you know, third down is uh, much less of a concern. So now from the, the good to the bad, from Xavier Worthy's performance to the offensive line, a little bit of a shakeup this week from Steve Sarkeesian. So we're going to see Topi Amati, six-year senior, going to get some playing time at right guard alongside Hayden Connor, the freshman, then at left tackle, a little bit of a battle between Christian Jones and Andres, Carrick, just what were your initial thoughts when you when you heard that from Sark this week? Yeah, I think it's a little bit remarkable in some ways because early in the season, he wasn't willing to abandon the Denzel Okafor experiment. You know, but I think what really happened and, you know, Andre Carrick had, had played really well for Texas, you know, in, in his extended appearances against Kansas State and against Colorado last year. And even, you know, in, in some of the more limited work that he had in, in the three blowouts this year. And so it was, you know, kind of surprising to see him just get really run ragged by Nick Benito, you know, last weekend. And, and so, you know, what moving Derek Kerstetter outside does is that it ensures that Texas is going to have a higher level of pass protection. Um, I think Benito is probably the most dynamic edge rusher in the Big 12 right now. So certainly for the rest of the schedule. I don't think that there's anyone who can who can threaten Texas off the edge in the same way that Benito did. Um, but but I think it's really important for Texas to shore up their pass protection at, at right tackle with Derek Kerstetter, Derek Kerstetter um, to, to just make sure that they can have some of that, you know, kind of burgeoning downfield passing game uh, with Casey Thompson and, and make sure that he's protected. Uh, which really melted down, you know, in the second half against Oklahoma, you know, when Sarko was trying to, you know, hit some bigger plays in the passing game kind of late in the third quarter, early in the fourth quarter. They just weren't there for Texas. Uh, certainly, you know, 
playing Tobey Amade or, or potentially, you know, Hayden Connor if it, if it comes to that, you know, at guard. They're just so much less likely to have those pass protection breakdowns uh, that can happen, um, you know, outside on the edges against good defenders. And, um, you know, Amade, 6'6", 360 pounds, big, strong, physical, smart guy, um, doesn't have the best feet, um, doesn't have the best balance, you know, has only played a handful of snaps in his six years. Um, but, you know, he fits the mold that, that Kyle Flood likes, and um, we'll see what Texas can get from him in a few hours here. Yeah, it's, it's almost like they're getting ready to press the panic button on this because at the beginning of the season, Sark was talking about he didn't want to shake things up. You know, he wanted to keep the same guy. He's trying to develop some consistency, and obviously the injury Doak before changed that. And then last week, Oklahoma was all over the Texas O-line. Uh, I think PFF gave him a single grade in pass protection. I'm not sure that's ever happened before. In the next three games, Oklahoma State, by a week then Baylor at Iowa State probably the three best defenses in the Big 12 left that Texas will face in in four three games in four weeks so I think Stark and Coach Flood kind of realized that these next three weeks are, are so critical for the Big 12 title race but they're also facing three defenses that are going to try and come after Casey Thompson yeah I think so um, Oklahoma I think has the best defensive line you know, of that group, I, I don't think Texas is going to see anyone as good in the trenches. But, you know, overall, you know, Oklahoma State has an elite defense, top 10, you know, an SP plus, FEI. Um, you know, Baylor's played well. Iowa State has a ton of experience. You know, that, that three safety look has given Texas a lot of trouble. Arkansas ran that. They were able to get downhill, really stymie the Texas running game. That's been a consistent problem. We'll see if, um, you know, Sark is able to solve that. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, I agree. It's, it's all hands on deck right now for the Texas offensive line uh, with Denzel Okafor out. I think that fairly significantly changed things, even though he hasn't been a guy who's performed, you know, really at the highest level. But, you know, I, I really think that getting Derek Kerstetter back outside at, at right tackle, um, you know, should really provide a lot more stability for Texas and the things that they want to do both in the passing game and the running game. So speaking of stability, Texas is still looking for some defensively. And Pete Kwiatkowski has this type of bend, don't break defense. We were talking about it before we started recording, that he hasn't really switched it up, hasn't really changed things. Based on the Oklahoma State team, uh, a very porous offense, haven't scored a single point in the second half, their last two outings, facing Spencer Sanders, who threw three interceptions last week, a, a run-heavy offense that doesn't really run the ball well somehow, three, 3.4 yards per carry, I think, yet they still rely on it more heavily. Do you think we're going to see any type of change on Saturday against Oklahoma State? Certainly, it's something that I would be interested in seeing. It's something that, you know, we talked about in the Arkansas game, you know, against a, an offense that doesn't have a ton of explosive ability in the passing game, still wanted to sit back, play that too high safety look, not really take any risks about the opponent being able to throw the ball over your head. For me, that's a risk that I would be willing to take as a defensive coordinator against Oklahoma State. Spencer Sanders, inconsistent. He is capable of hitting those plays. But Tylen Wallace is not walking out of the visitor locker room at DKR <laughs> tomorrow morning. 
Um, I don't think that they have anybody who's nearly as good as him who can create those explosive plays. And I think that Texas is inviting danger if they want to try to sit back and be conservative and take the risk of Oklahoma State being able to run the ball as Arkansas and Oklahoma State were willing to do. But, um, you know, I think that losing Jacoby Jones, if that puts Alfred Collins into the starting lineup, I think that changes the calculation a little bit for the Texas defensive front because that way they have they have a 300-pounder who has the capability of setting the edge. Um, you know, I personally was kind of thinking just in, in, in looking at the personnel that Texas, you know, has available. I think it would make sense to go with heavier personnel groupings. And if it's not Alfred Collins out on the edge, uh, you know, playing defensive end or, or the jack position that, that Pete Kwiatkowski likes to use, um, you know, maybe it's more Ojimo moving back outside where he played last year. And that would allow the opportunity, you know, maybe you go really big inside with Devondre Sweat and Keandre Colbert on the field at the same time. Or maybe you give Byron Murphy a chance to play a little bit of three technique defensive tackle who's been really disruptive. Um, so I think just getting a little bit more beef into the Texas defensive line could have some definite uh, positive impacts, especially considering, you know, some of the calls against Oklahoma where they're in more of a, I'm not sure if it was exactly a dime defense, but they're playing that kind of Todd Orlando type front with Jet Bush playing at the four eye defensive end position. And, you know, he had some solid moments against Oklahoma, but uh, to me, if you're asking him to really play that position or if you're asking, you know, Ovi Okofa or Ben Davis to play the jack position, set the edge, to me that's setting those guys up for failure. Yeah, and KJ Jefferson, he rushed for over 70 yards. Caleb Williams had 88 yards rushing. So if, if they stick with that same type of scheme and same type of defense, the two safeties, I think Mike Gundy's just going to use Sanders to either roll out or use some use some option plays. I saw them run a, a few just regular option runs against Baylor uh, two weeks ago, and it worked out well on third down. I think they scored a touchdown off it for Sanders. Uh, he rushed for over 100 yards in that first game back in DKR in, in 2019. They did a good job of stopping him. Last year definitely made it more of an emphasis, but he also was sacked six times. But I think if you if you do run that same type of defense, you're, you're just – you're asking for Spencer Sanders to beat you on the ground and you want him to try and beat you through the air. And one part of this that I wonder about is, is how much uh, Kwiatkowski trusts his safeties. Um, you know, BJ Foster has had a couple times when he's been beating coverage this year. Uh, Brendan Schooler has had some tough moments taking the right angles, being able to get guys down. Darren Thompson hasn't been the most reliable guy in that regard either. Um, So if Texas does opt to go to that single safety look, is it Foster? Is it Thompson? Is it Schooler? And if it comes to a situation where one of the experienced Texas cornerbacks allows the play to get over their head, can you trust Foster or Thompson or Schooler to clean that up and make sure that it doesn't result in a long touchdown? And right now I think that's an extremely open question, and um, that may be a reason why – uh, Pete Kukowski has been so conservative so far. And we saw the, the plays that Oklahoma's receivers, Marvin Mims, made on those jump balls last week that really kept Oklahoma in that game, allowed them to come back and eventually win it. Uh, you're talking about the defensive line. 
Jacoby Jones, of course, he's out for indefinitely. Out of the defensive linemen, he leads them with quarterback Curry's with just two. No other defensive lineman has a single QB hurry this year. The, all other ones are linebackers. Yeah, it's uh, it's been it's been disappointing uh, for the Texas defensive line, and certainly there were big question marks outside of Joseph Osai, um, you know, departing. I think the additions were were fairly low upside, um, and. I mean, the other possibility here is um, moving to Tavian Sanders, the defense from tight end where he's buried on the depth chart. And I'm not sure after losing, you know, basically two and a half months of, of development uh, since preseason uh, practice started. Uh, I'm not sure how much he would even, he would really be able to jump in and contribute. But certainly just, you know, the natural ability there is something that could provide a boost to Texas and, um I think would would have a big impact on on his long term upside as well. I think that's the position where he has the best chance of being a high NFL draft pick. So I've seen some debate on the interwebs that over whether or not the Texas defense, if it's the fault of Kwiatkowski, the scheme, or if it's the fault of the players, and just what's what's your input on that? Because from what I've seen, I just don't think Sark and Kwiatkowski have the type of personnel. That they that they want to be able to run their type of defense successfully. Yeah, I think that's a definite. I think that's a definite factor in what's going on right now. Uh, certainly, in terms of blue chip ratio, you know, Texas ranks very highly. But I would argue that there's been a few key recruiting misses that have really played a big role for Texas. Um, I would maybe even start by saying, you know, Caden Stearns. Had a great freshman season, banged up, didn't play particularly well the next two years. Took a risk, took it like bet on himself by entering into the NFL draft. Wasn't drafted as highly as maybe he was anticipated being early on in this Texas career. He's played well for the Broncos. You know, like if Texas had a guy like Caden Stearns on the back end playing the way that he is for the Broncos right now, that would make a significant difference. Chris Brown a guy who had a chance to come back for an extra COVID year, bet on himself, didn't work out for him. I, I thought that he was going to be a draftable player. I'm not really sure what exactly happened with him. Um, he wasn't a guy that even ended up buying an undrafted free agent contract. But based on how he played at Texas, tough physical, that's the type of player that Texas could really use on the back end. I mean, if, you know, we're talking about a play like the fourth and one from Caleb Williams last weekend, Jaron Thompson has a shot at Caleb Williams in the hole, misses him. Like, does Chris Brown make that play? I think there's a pretty good chance that he could. But, you know, some of the even bigger misses that may have been sort of a result of that really strong defensive back class in, in 2018 and, and some of the issues that Texas had in, in convincing recruits that, that Tom Herman had a future in Austin, which he ultimately obviously did not. Um, Jalen Catalan at Arkansas was a guy that Texas was really close to landing. Tough, physical, kind of, you know, around the same size as Chris Brown, not not quite as built as, as Chris Brown, but, you know, a guy who's probably going to enter the NFL draft, I think would have a chance to be probably, you know, a second-day pick somewhere. Um, even moving into the, the linebacker core, there weren't a lot of guys when I went back and looked at that I thought Texas really missed on in recruiting, but – 
you know, to Gabriel Floyd, a really highly ranked player from California in the 2019 recruiting class, came in, turned out that he had spinal stenosis and ended his football career. Another tough physical player who could be that that thumper right next to DeMarvin Overshone. Uh, certainly a guy who has, if he hit 75% of his upside in his third year at Texas, I think would be starting over Luke Brockermeyer by a comfortable margin. Um, another guy more on the speedy side, Caleb Johnson, Duco signing uh, that Texas had in 2019. Seven and a half tackles for a loss, five and a half sacks last year for, for UCLA. A guy that could have, you know, made a difference for this Texas team. You know, defensive line, the, the lack of really playmaking a line there. The Marvin Leal ended up going to, to Texas A&M from Car- Converse Judson um, in the 2019 class, 2020 class. Um, but, a, you know, a guy that wasn't really sure about, you know, the Texas defensive line scheme, playing, you know, the three down front that, that uh, Todd Orlando was using uh, with that tight front. Uh, sorry, 2019 class to Marvin Leal. Uh, if, he, if he's in this group, he's a guy who could create organic pressure for the uh, the Texas defensive line right now. And so, you know, some of those close recruiting losses or attrition that Texas has had, I think have left them without the ideal amount of depth and talent for Pete Kwiatkowski to really feel the uh, competitive defense this year. And you understand why they hit the transfer portal so hard and why they were, were targeting so many linebackers uh, Davis, Thornton, Agofu, and without Agofu, who knows where this defense would be? And it just getting ready for this Oklahoma State game, it reminded me of last year's game. Just watching the highlights of Joseph Osai, and you know Osai and Ellinger basically won that game for Texas. And you know Osai had the the strip sack and, and uh, fourth down and overtime to win the game. Texas doesn't have that type of playmaker. And, of course, having a, a, a Joe Osai, it's not every team has it. But even just that type of playmaker who you can, on third or fourth down, when you need a stop, you can rely on. And Overshone's kind of getting there. Um, you, you, you had a good tweet about it, actually, where you, where you said, you know, because of his injuries, he hasn't had, like, a, a real full offseason to kind of get healthy, to get stronger. And I think we're kind of seeing that, having trouble getting off blocks and, and et cetera. But it just goes back to the Osai thing. I just Texas needs to find that type of defensive playmaker. They have one offensively with Bijan Robinson. We see what Bijan can do. He can turn an entire possession, entire quarter, entire game with one run. But defensively, I don't know if Texas has that type of guy. No, they don't right now. And um, you know, just kind of looking back, how recruiting has you know shaken out over the last few years. Nick Benito was really the guy that Texas had the best chance of landing who might still be on the roster right now, uh, certainly in the same class as Joseph Osai, who committed a little bit more closer to, to signing day. Uh, Nick Benito out of Florida was, um, you know, a guy that Texas seemed really close to being able to land. There are some, you know, some things that happened that Oklahoma was able to take advantage of just before uh, the early signing day that year. They were able to get a make. Uh, took him a little bit of time to develop, but, you know, really just an extremely dynamic player off the edge now for Oklahoma. You know, Andre Carrick obviously dealt with that last weekend. And, um, you know, but I think what was kind of surprising to me was just going back and, and looking at the guys that Texas had offered um, and which guys they had a chance at. And other than Benito in the last couple of years, there wasn't anybody 
that really stood out to me that I could point to and say, this is a guy who could have fixed those issues for Texas off the edge right now. Uh, moving forward, you know, Texas has some guys in, in the 2022 class who are committed who might be able to do that. You know, maybe Prince Dorbaugh develops, you know, maybe DJ Harris. Uh, Harris flashed a little bit. I think it was uh, the walk-off sack against Rice maybe uh, that he made. But otherwise, there's there's a lot of question marks for Texas moving forward at the position. Um, they haven't landed a blue-chip player at that position in the last couple of years. They don't have that player in the, in the 2022 recruiting class. And so, you know, that's going to be a big storyline to follow over the next couple of years for Texas, finding someone who can really threaten opponents in passing situations off the edge. And speaking of recruiting, it's a really big recruiting weekend against Oklahoma State. You said that last week against Oklahoma, you talked about how it, it was a must win for recruiting, but it seems like it's going to be actually this game and the recruits are flocking into Austin. They want to see how Texas responds after losing that close game. Uh, of course, Arch Manning coming in. Um, everyone's going to have their eyes on the five-star quarterback. That's probably the biggest commit that's visiting um, for the media. But wondering, who do you have your eye on? There's a couple of really big offensive line names coming in. TJ Shanahan, Connor Robertson, of course, Westlake, local kids. Um, who, who are you looking at this weekend for Texas? Yeah, there's a handful of official visitors uh, for Texas that I, that I think are really important. Um, Ernest Green, the offensive lineman out of California, he's an interior guy. Malik Agba from Washington, also an interior guy. Uh, former LSU commit safety, Jacoby Matthews. Former Arizona commit safety, Larry Turner Goodwin, Gooden. Um, you know, obviously, offensive line is a huge position of need for Texas. They haven't gotten the numbers. That they that they need to really have a long term reshaping of this line in in the image of Steve Sarkeesian and Kyle Flood, particularly you know Green and Agbo are, are both big guys, 330 pounds right now, so they they fit the mold that Kyle Flood wants. Um, the safety position, you know, talked about the need for guys like Jalen Catalan. There's kind of a lack of depth there for Texas. They're going to be losing B.J. Uh, Foster almost certainly after this year. Brendan Schooler, his eligibility will be up. Texas needs to replace those guys. I think J.D. Coffey, you know, is is a player with a, a bright future at Texas, I think, right now. Uh, but Tyler Owens is apparently set to enter the, the transfer portal. So Texas needs to add some safeties to this class. Uh, Larry Turner Gooden, I think, is a guy that has, you know, Texas has a really good chance of, of impressing, you know, and adding him to the recruiting class. Uh, Matthews is a guy who's reportedly high on Texas A&M. I think they have a, a solid shot with him, but you know, certainly those guys on the offensive line in the trenches and in the back end on the defense are guys that, that Texas really needs to, to impress in the, in the 2022 recruiting class. Um, and then Evan Stewart as well, uh, the five-star former uh, Texas wide receiver commit from Frisco Liberty. He tweeted this morning that he's going to be at Texas. Um, that's an area where you know, continuing to get Xavier Worthy involved, I think will really help. Um, he sort of has felt like a guy who just needs that excuse to commit to Texas. Um, a handful of players who are starting to, you know, maybe build a relationship with with Arch Manning, uh, Ruben Owens, running back, uh, 2023, former Texas commit as well. Uh, Jalen Hale, Longview wide receiver, John Tate Cook, wide receiver out of, De of DeSoto. Two, those guys are... Two of the best wide receivers in the country. 
uh, William Randall, uh, Arch's teammate there at Isidore Newman, um, you know, in New Orleans. And, you know, certainly the big story, you know, is Arch Manning and whether Texas can continue building that relationship with him, uh, show him that that Sark can coordinate the type of offense that he wants to play in. But you know, I think also just, just reinforcing uh, to Arch that, that Austin is a place that continues to feel like home with him, uh, which is, you know, something that he's mentioned already. And if you're an offensive uh, offensive player in high school, I think you have to like what you're seeing from Sark. If you're a wideout, if you're a quarterback, if you're a running back, the way they're incorporating everyone to the, the offense. And if you're on the defensive side or the O-line, I feel like even though – it's not a great year for those those units. I feel like if you're Kyle Flood or on the defensive side, you can say, hey, if you want playing time, we could use you from day one. Yeah, and I, yeah, I think the message is that you can see from especially the Oklahoma game, and I think, you know, why I think I, I regret buying a little bit on, on the notion that the season couldn't be successful with a loss last weekend. Um, I think the the caveat in, in hindsight for that is that, you know, Texas came out of the gates, played really well, had a lead that they should have been able to maintain and win, but certainly showed that that they're very close to being able to dethrone Oklahoma with how they look right now. I mean, you know, if, if Lincoln Riley hadn't made the decision to replace Spencer Rattler, what are the odds that Texas wins that game? I mean, I would think that they would – go up significantly. So I think showing that potential, you know, was really important last weekend, but I think um, the pressure is probably on a little bit more this weekend because as good as the Oklahoma state defense is, I've called it elite. I think that's accurate based on the numbers right now, perhaps, you know, that could change it if they don't continue performing to that level. Uh, but, you know, Oklahoma state is, is a team that especially with, the loss of all the skill position players that they have on offense, the inconsistencies from Spencer Sanders, and the the benefit of what should be a Rockets home environment, even for a morning game on uh, a few hours here in Austin, uh, really makes this um, a must-win game for Texas, I think, uh, both in terms of the outlook for trying to make the Big 12 championship game, but also in, in making that positive impact on the recruits who are going to be in town. I, I think they can forgive what happened last weekend, I think it would be much more difficult to sell the future if Texas can't win a game that they should be able to win tomorrow against Oklahoma State. It's such a critical game. And usually it feels like the Texas season ends after the Oklahoma game, after the loss, because you get your hopes up and then they lose to OU and you think, well, that's it. We're not a contender. But first year under Sark, it's understandable. I think everyone isn't as down on the loss as maybe originally thought going into if Texas lost this game the way, even though the way they did lose it. And then real quick on Oklahoma State, some people forget they were number six in the country last year coming into that Texas game. They were undefeated. They were 4-0, now 5-0. I think for the first time uh, since 2015, they come in undefeated. So... It's going to be an interesting game Saturday. Um, I, the stat I mentioned to you on Monday's podcast, Texas 6-2 and two following an Oklahoma loss. The two losses are to Oklahoma State, and I believe both those teams were top 10, maybe even top 5 at, at one point. I think the 20. 
2013 team was um, or 2012. So uh, any other thoughts before we wrap up? Yeah. Uh, you know, key, key area to watch uh, for the game against Oklahoma State, which team can win on first down? That was big for Texas going into the Oklahoma game. Steve Sarkeesian mentioned it. We talked about it here. Texas fantastic on first down in the first half, struggled on first down in the second half. A very determining factor in that game. Oklahoma State is, is pretty good against a run on first down on defense. Not as good as Oklahoma was, and also not as susceptible to big passing plays on first down as Oklahoma was. So can can Texas produce, you know, some of those positive running plays on first down? Um, and then Oklahoma State on first down, they want to run the ball almost 70% of the time. Can Texas stop that? Yeah, 108 rushing attempts on first down compared to 48 passing attempts. Second down, 80 rushing attempts to 40 passing attempts. And then third down, of course, as you would imagine or you can guess, they pass more than rushing attempts. But on the first down, average four yards. Second down, just 2.8 yards when they run. So first down is key. We saw what Oklahoma did on the ground against Texas last week. Don't think the Horns can allow Oklahoma State to do that again this week. So that, that's a really big battle to watch is, is the run game, I think, for, for both sides, especially against this Oklahoma State rushing defense that only allows about 90 yards per game. But Oklahoma's rush defense against Texas coming into Texas last week was under 100 yards per game, too, and we saw what Bijan was able to do. So... We'll see. Uh, Texas has B. John Robinson. Oklahoma State doesn't. I think that's a that's a big factor to think about. Yeah, B. John, um, you know, a couple of really explosive uh, runs against Oklahoma. A lot of runs that were bottled up near the line of scrimmage. I think being more consistent there, even if Texas doesn't hit the 50-yard run, 33-yard run that they did with B. John last weekend, if they can get more of those five or six, 10-yard runs uh, than they did against Oklahoma, that will set them up to be in much more favorable down and distance situations and be able to sustain drives, um, you know, across four quarters. And I wrote about it in my, my opponent preview piece, and it's, it's not – it's obviously a no-brainer, but I think Sark's going to try and go as fast as he possibly can and try to get this Oklahoma State defense just exhausted by the fourth quarter because no one wants to tackle Bijan Robinson as it is. But if they're going to be gassed by the end of this game, they haven't really faced a, a up-tempo team this year. They've only given up 23 points. That was to Tulsa in week two. So they haven't really, they've been in close games every game, but they haven't been high scoring close games. So I think the recipe for, for success for Texas is move quick and try and get this defense on their heels and then just try and shove Bijan down their throat in the fourth quarter. Yeah, certainly which defense is, is in better position to finish in terms of their fatigue level. Um, I think it's going to be important. Texas was fatigued, too fatigued last week against Oklahoma. They lost the time of possession battle by 10 full minutes. Um, and Oklahoma was um, too fresh for the, the Texas offensive line and Bichon uh, late in that game. And Texas Texas didn't have any advantage in that area on either side of the ball um, last weekend. So being the tougher, more physically strong team, being able to beat blocks you know, in the fourth quarter um, for a game that, that profiles as – I would guess, you know, fairly close. I, you know, last week thought the Oklahoma game was going to be fairly low scoring. I would guess the same this week. 
Um, maybe it, maybe it won't be with the way that the Texas defense has been playing. You know, they got to be able to get guys to the ground. So, you know, whichever defense, you know, is more fresh and more physical and can make those plays in, in the fourth quarter, I think uh, that could be a big key in this game as well. And Mike Gundy said he does not want this game to turn into a shootout. So I, I think it, it goes in Texas' favor if it is a high-scoring game. Low-scoring game, I'm not sure. But here we are in October 2021, about a year and a half into this pandemic. We're talking about Oklahoma State's great defense and not-so-good <laughs> offense. I don't know, what's going on? Well, what, what else is going to happen, Yeah, Scott? It's a crazy world. Uh, one thing that I'll say to, to close out here, you know, if, if Texas can get a lead of – of multiple scores early in this game, um, this Oklahoma State offense is not built to be able to recover from that. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm going to say the same thing. I think you go up by two scores, and I th- think it's game over. Not sure if I completely trust the defense, but again, the most points this team has scored or has scored this year is 31, but that includes a defensive touchdown. That was against Kansas State, 28 against Tulsa. Um, also, Spencer Sanders has thrown a pick six this year as well. I th- I think it's also going to come down to Spencer Sanders as well, but we can keep, keep going on with that. But Yeah, very, very inconsistent player. Make a great play on one play, terrible play on the next. Um, if he struggles, you know, Shane Ellingworth is uh, not Caleb Williams, so... Texas doesn't have to worry about that this weekend. Although, if they do bring Ellenworth in, uh, he's the type of pocket passer with the big arm, you know, who could th- potentially threaten Texas more in the downfield passing game than Sanders is uh, likely to. Every team except for Arkansas and TCU have thrown their backup in against Texas this year. That's what I just realized. So, at this point, we might see Ellenworth um, against Texas. Who, who could say? Who could truly say? Well, Scott, I'll see you on Monday. Uh, we'll find out if winning is still hard. I can't wait. <laughs> All right, man. Winning's hard. Really, really hard. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. 